already had the word preached to me this morning in song and in worship and in prayer and in words. May this add to it. May this add to it. Do you like movie love stories? Chick flicks? You know, I cut my sappy movie teeth on on movies like You've Got Mail and While You Were Sleeping and romantic dramas like Anne of Green Gables. And those allowed me to get into the more serious Jane Austen works like Pride and Prejudice and Emma and Sense and Sensibility. Now, you got to remember, I lived with six women. And we didn't have a TV in Africa. And when we get to see one and vote, well, I had one vote. (laughs) And I love those movies. I have come to love those movies. I don't like sad or bad endings. I don't want a French love story. We lived there for a while. They're sad. Something bad happens in those. I want love stories. I don't want a scary movie. And love is really the theme of this missions conference. Love is the theme of the gospel. And the missions conference theme, for the sake of the gospel, will you serve, sacrifice, and go? That's all about love. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 23, that I may share in its blessings, share in its love, The gospel is the good news that we've just had preached to us, that Jesus became sin for us, and that by faith, we can have a relationship with the holy God of the universe. It's a love story demonstrated over and over and over again in scripture, and that's what I'm going to talk about, this great love story. Before I get there, I just want to say, wow. Like, I haven't seen stuff like this before. This is amazing. I I love the QR codes. I love what you've done. I love missions follow-up. Kudos to the missions committee and the church. I'm going to take this somewhere, and this this is going somewhere else, these ideas. Thank you. What's a love story? It's going to a really hard place or a really hard thing and winning love troubles and plot twists and finally finding that love. I've got a clicker here somewhere. That's where we're going to be first, okay? John 20, 19 through 21. That's where we're going to start and that's where we're going to end. But in the middle of this, we're going to be in the Old Testament in a love story. So this John 20 is really the first of five great commission passages. John 20 talks about the model. I'm sending you in this. And there's a great book called The Third of Us. The author talks about these things. We're going to borrow some of his stuff. John 20, it's the method. I'm sending you. Mark 16, it's the magnitude I'm sending you to all the world. Matthew 28, that's the one you're familiar with. And that's the method. Go and make disciples. And Paul Davis talked about that last week. Luke 24, that's the message. 
repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Acts 1, that's the power. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's what I talked about a year ago when I was here. So we're going to hit this John 20 this time. And I want to focus on this verse. I'll read it from verse 19. On the evening of that day, okay, that was the resurrection day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, can you imagine that? He comes and stands among them. It would be like him walking across the water, and they were scared at that in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. They don't expect him to show up here. The doors are locked, and here he comes. And the first thing he says to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The resurrected Christ is standing in front of them. It's all true. Everything he said is true. And they're glad. And then he says this. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. God the Father sent Jesus, and we're sent to be sent like him. He is our model. A model is a standard or an example. Now, I was really privileged to learn golf at a young age. My father loved to play golf, but he didn't learn to play until he was an adult. And the way he swung, he couldn't teach me to play. It was not a beautiful thing to behold. And so my brother and I went to golf lessons. And the pro there became my high school golf teacher, too. And if you know anything about golf, he could shoot his age. Okay, he was that good. Okay. And he said, look at me. This is how you should swing. And whatever you do, Harry, don't look at your father. <laughs> and I followed that advice. And it's fun to still be doing that, but he was a model. In this first post-resurrection visit... Those disciples are glad that he's speaking to them, and Jesus is letting, him in, letting them in on the next piece, okay? Five times he comes and speaks to them, and this is the first, first part of that. Just as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Just as Jesus was sent to people, I'm going to send you to people. Just as Jesus served and spoke to people, that's what I want you to do. Just as Jesus went to imperfect people, needy people, that's where I'm sending you. That's a love story. God loves us first. That's the reason you're sitting here, that God loved you first. You didn't pick him. He picked you. And none of us were those perfect people. We're all in need. And that gospel, it's a message of love. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 3. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name. That's Luke 24. But we know that the gospel deserves more than just saying it. We know that we're supposed to do something with the gospel. You know the verse. They'll know we are Christians by our love. 
by our love, by what we do. Now, we were missionaries in West Africa. We were medical missionaries among the Wolof, and we were expecting that just like Jesus cured it, and I didn't cure like Jesus, I used medicines and other things like that, but just as those cures brought those people to him and they saw who he was and they wanted him, we thought that was gonna happen too. But the Wolof people are very practical people. They had been a bunch of places before they came to our hospital, a bunch of witch doctors, and they get cured, and they didn't know who cured them. They didn't care who cured them. And it was really disappointing to find that out, that that wasn't going to win them to Christ. But what we found out was these were poor people, about a dollar a day, and we capped our hospital stay at the equivalent of $5, okay? I didn't care if they stayed for six weeks. It was gonna be five bucks, that's it, okay? And that generosity started to speak to the Wolof. We would transport them when they had something too big for us and we'd go to the government hospital in the capital. That generosity and love spoke to them. And they had a saying, Tangasono Sabopa, you made yourself tired for me. Jared Jeff, thank you, thank you. That's what Jesus did. He made himself literally tired for us. He sacrificed himself. He was beaten. He was tortured. That's what he did for us. And so we're sent to do that same thing. Just let me remind you before we get to the love story. Jesus didn't help just good people. He didn't pick out just the good people, the scribes and the Pharisees. He went to the thieves and to the murderers and to the adulterers and to the sexually immoral, and to the liars, and to the poor. That's who he went to, people like us, people who needed him. So what I want to do in this next section, look at an Old Testament scripture, look at who God is. Because Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Who is this Father who sends? That's what I want to understand right now. And we're going to go to Genesis 16. We're going to take this in two parts. Genesis 16, 1 through 6 first. Make some comments. And then the rest of the chapter. And then go back to John 20 this morning. This is a great story. It's a love story of epic proportions. So here we go. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, 
And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Now here's the story. They lay out the characters in the plot very quickly. We've got Abram, and he needs an heir. We've got Sarai, his wife of many decades, and she's barren. They find the solution, and the trouble begins. Okay, that's the plot that we're laying out here. It's been 10 years since God first told Abraham that he would be a great nation. Genesis 12, that was that. Genesis 13, he reminds them that he's going to have offspring beyond number. And in Genesis 15, he says, specifically, a son. They've exercised faith now in this spot for 10 years. Abram is 85 or 86. Sarai is 75 or 76. And this has become unendurable. That's what we're reading here. Sarai has endured the shame of being barren. Big shame in this culture not to be able to bear children. She knows the promises. She knows Abram needs an heir, and she's not providing it. And she says, it's God who gives children. And she's feeling pretty left out here. God hasn't answered. They're getting older, and it's time to do something. And so they come up with a legal cultural solution in the code of Hammurabi, in the code of Nuzi, the Assyrian code. That's what they did here. She takes her servant, and that child that's born to the servant becomes hers and Abram's, okay? All legal. But that solution led to some unintended consequences. Do you ever have that happen to you? You start something out, and they have the unintended consequences. Bad things happen, all right? Hagar was from Egypt. We find that out in Genesis 12. She was possibly even a princess, a gift from Pharaoh. She has no choices. She has few options, and she becomes a wife. When she conceived, the literal words are, her mistress became small in her eyes. She became big. Her mistress became small. She looked on her with contempt. She's now perceiving that she's a better woman than Sarai. She's going to be more favored by Abram, possibly, and she's really favored by God at this point. And she disrespects Sarai, and the text doesn't say it, but I imagine it's days on end. Can you imagine that? This servant disrespecting. Dis, you know, some of you got teenagers. You know, you can relate to this sometimes, this disrespect that just comes, you know, out of nowhere, okay? And that's one of the jobs as parents, teaching respect. Sarai lives in shame. Now her problem just got worse. She's now recognizing the different position of Hagar. She's disrespected by one who should respect her. She turns to Hagar for help, and it might cost her her privileged position with Abram. 
and possibly even Abram's love. In her pride and her shame and her fear, she gets angry. You ever do that? Yeah, I, I told the Sunday school this morning about one of my times being taken out by the elders of the village because I was an angry man. And I had to be humbled, okay? She blames Abram at this point. May the wrong done to me be on you. She curses, really, Abram and says, not nice things. And then she mistreats Hagar. Now, that's a really gentle word, okay? The real word is found in Exodus 1.11, it's the same word as here. It's also found in Genesis 12, and it's speaking of the children of Israel and how they would get oppression and affliction in Egypt. Now, you know the oppression and the affliction they got. It was emotional, it was verbal, and it was also physical. And this might have been some physical abuse going on at this point. And now the third character of this plot, Abram. Abram is absent and passive at this point. And he has a history of weakness. In Genesis 12, he said, Sarai, tell Pharaoh you're my sister because I'm scared for my life. He does it again in Genesis 20. Same thing. Call, tell him you're, you're my sister. In this one, he listens to Sarai's solution and he allows her a free hand to do whatever she wants with that servant. He allows the abuse of an unprotected woman and an unborn baby at this point. The best we can say here is that he's on a faith journey. Now, let me give you some good news here. Romans 4 talks about Abraham's faith. Hebrews 11 talks about Abraham and Sarah's faith. Okay, God did great things here. But not really right here. These three are just humans. The Bible talks about humans. And they're living up to some bad things at this point. Now, their names. Abram means exalted father. Now, he's not acting like it right now. Sarai means my princess. And she's not acting like it right now. And Hagar means to flee, to be forsaken. And she's living up to her name. She's the only one. Shame, abuse, unanswered prayer. That's the plot here that we're seeing in this movie. Imperfect people, and we're surrounded by people just like this. Big and serious problems. I heard of some sicknesses that you prayed for today. Big and serious problems, okay? People who are afraid, people who find poor solutions to their problems, people who need help. Now, did I say this was a love story? And something good has got to happen here, right? That's what I'm looking forward to. They need to be loved and rescued. Someone needs to step into their pain and their weakness at this point. Someone needs to step into our pain and weakness. Someone needs to come and rescue us. Someone needs to love us. So let's look at the rest of the story here, as Paul Harvey used to say. Verse 7. 
The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The angel of the Lord appears. The Lord who spoke to her is what it says in verse 16. You you are a God who sees me, she says. I believe this was a theophany. That's a visitation to humans of God. Here he is. And God addresses her by name and by status. Hagar, servant of Sarai. Where have you come from? Where are you going? He treats her with compassion he treats her with dignity. She's not been treated like this. And he asks her personal questions. Now, Hagar only says, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. Well, where is she? She's in Shur, okay? And I always get these maps wrong, so just bear with me. But Abraham and Sarah were here in southern Israel. And Egypt's over here. And so probably backwards, you know, west and east. But anyway, okay? And Shur is right in the middle. She's going home. She's going for protection. She's going for love. Why does God show up? Well, you'd say, hey, this is Abram's son. But it's not the son of promise. It's not the one who's been prophesied and all those good things are going to happen. God cares about Hagar. And he cares about Ishmael. And as hard as it might be to believe, because you know Ishmael's descendants are the Muslims, as hard as that might be to believe, he has a plan for Hagar. He has a plan for Ishmael. He cares for Hagar. He cares for Ishmael. And you know what? He's the God of life. Ishmael would not be on the way without God making it happen. God, the king of the universe, has time for a poor, abused, unprotected woman. 
She's in distress. And the hero of our love story shows up in person. The king of the universe cares for unborn babies. The king of the universe cares for abused people. The king of the universe cares for the weak and the helpless and the unprotected, the poor, the undefended, the down and out, the imperfect people just like us. He's the first lover. And God, in his comfort of Hagar, reminds us over and over of that Hesed love. Love that is full and steadfast. And then, with Hagar, just like when you were a kid, and some children here, this sounds familiar, he gives her the bad news first. Go back and submit. He addresses Hagar's pride here. She's still a servant. He didn't change her status. She will return to her husband, her responsibilities, her problems. And even though it's the hardest thing to do, this is the best thing. And then with compassion... And you got to understand this. He speaks to Hagar. She is the second woman in Scripture that God comes to. He gives her a promise that he only gives to two other people, and they were called patriarchs. Your offspring. You're going to have a nation. This is the first time we've seen a birth annunciation in the Scripture. And there's only a handful that say, you're going to have a son, Jesus being among them. God heard a poor, abused, afflicted woman's cries. Awesome things to say to Hagar. And then more important, the promises. Call him Ishmael. And I've told you what those names mean, right? What does Ishmael mean? God hears. Name your son with what happened today. The God of the universe is standing here and he hears you. God hears. Now, verse 12 I know is a problem for everybody. And I've actually preached on that in this church about 15 years ago. And I cited a guy named Tony Maloof who's a Dallas grad who wrote a book, Arabs in the Shadow of Israel. Interesting, good book. But God says things that we have a hard time understanding. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Everybody's hand is going to be against him. Every, he's going to dwell against people. Now, I want to assure you right now, these are words of comfort to Hagar. Because she understands these words in a different way than we do. She understands them in the context and the times of the Middle East. Okay? So, in short, here are those three descriptors. A wild donkey of a man. When you think of a donkey, you think of a dumb, stubborn beast. Translate this. Because this is used in Job 39, 5 through 8. 
That same word, it's also used in Genesis 49.5. A wild donkey is an Arabian stallion. Or, as Americans think, eagle. Okay? Would you like your son to be an eagle? Independent, free, the chief of the desert, the Arabian stallion. That's what that word means. His hand will be against everybody. He's going to be able to defend himself. Ishmael will be nomads. And they need to be able to defend themselves. And he promises that Ishmael will. And he's going to live over against, meaning geographically, nearby, in the face of. And he's there when Abram dies in Genesis 25 and helps Isaac bury Abraham. He's there. God gives the promise of freedom and independence to this boy, this Arabian stallion. And those are comforting words to Hagar because what does she say? Does she cry? No. She says, I exalt you, O God. God sees. God has seen her situation and she names a well, that well on the way to Shur, as a memorial place. The well of the living one who sees me. Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. God looks after me. God cares for me. He's listened to my affliction. She feels that she's been cared for in this whole encounter with God. And she has. Because God has come in that terrible plot of this movie and solved the problems. God reverses Hagar's slavery. She's going to have a free and independent son. She's going to be the head of a people. He reverses her powerlessness. She has no power as a servant. And her son is going to be able to defend her and honor her. And Hagar's alienation, she's going to dwell nearby in freedom. And God teaches Abram and Sarai. Do you notice that Abram knows to name the boy Ishmael? I mean, something happens here that we didn't see. God is teaching Abram and Sarah to welcome her back. She tells them the story. They marvel, and, she named, and Abram is the one who names the son at that point. Faith was being developed and tested like we see them commended for in Hebrews 11. So what do we learn about this God who comes, the hero of the story, to solve weakness and pride and anger and need and abuse. It's true for Hagar. It's true for us. God sees you and me. God hears you and me. And God cares. Oh, how much he cares for you and me. God can be trusted with these bad situations. God can turn shame to honor. God comes and rescues us. He loves us. And he makes a way for us to be with him. He listens to us even in our affliction because this life will have troubles. I don't know what yours are. 
We've been through ours. And we'll be through more, I'm sure. As the sparks fly upward, I think is in Job. So let's get back to John 20. And here's that verse again. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. John 6, 38 says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Even so, it's a little word, kago, in the Greek, it means and. As the Father has sent me, and I'm sending you. It means me also. It means I also. I also am sending you. As the Father honored me to come and do his will here, I'm placing that same blessing on you. The blessings of the gospel that we read about in 1 Corinthians 9, 23. Jesus is saying, I want you to be like me in the same way, to do the same things in love, to love, to sacrifice, to make yourselves tired, and you will share in the blessings of the gospel. Jesus wants us to realize that just as he was surrounded by all these poor, helpless, needy, imperfect people, he understands that you are surrounded by poor, helpless needy, abused people. And so in this first great commission passage, we are commissioned by God, even so I am sending you, we are commissioned by God to do what Jesus did. And coming from a long line of scorners, okay, me, okay, we're to do this without scorn or judgment or denigration or putting down of those who we are sent to serve. It took me a long time to learn that lesson. Those in need that you know that I don't know. Who are the needy people around you? possibly unlovely people around you. Who just came to mind? Because someone probably just came to mind or a group of someones might have just come to mind. God loved you in the same condition that they are. God saved you and he's sending you. He's commissioning you. And let me tell you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do this. You can do this. This is Jesus' promise. I'm sending you, and I have all power and authority. I'm sending you to someone who's unloved or unprotected or angry or needy or hard to love. I'm sending you because I was sent. Now, a year ago, with Acts 1.8, I asked you, where's your spot? 
Is it Jerusalem? Right here. Is it Judea and Samaria? A little bit further away. Is it the uttermost parts of the earth? And I told you that those three things are connected by ands. They're happening all at the same time. Not one of them is valued over another. This is a missions conference. We don't value missions over serving right here in Jerusalem or Judea or anywhere else. Where's your spot? And it's probably right here, and that's good. That's so good. So today, my question for you is this one. Who has God put into your life to love? I'm certain there's someone that fits that description. Someone who needs you. Who needs God. Someone or a group of someones to concentrate on. To give your time to. To make yourselves tired to do it. Jesus did not come to do his own will. He came to do his Father's will. The one who sent him. We are to be like the Father. And like the Son. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit for this ministry. To be sent by Jesus just as he was sent. To share the gospel and the blessings of the gospel. Because this is fun. This is really fun as you get into it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this love story. Thank you for the great ending of this love story. Thank you for how good you are. Thank you for how much you love us. And thank you for giving us power to love others. May this church continue to be a beacon, a beacon of light to this community and then to the far reaches of the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.